0: Well, I'm talking today about legacy. I'm looking at God's scripture here in Acts 20 if you want to work your way there. But as you're working your way there, I want you to listen to this. I want you to take a little quiz with me this morning. Is there anybody in the room, I'm not going to ask you to say it, but is there anybody in the room you can raise your hand that can tell me the last five winners of the Heisman Trophy Award? Can anybody do that this morning? Can any of you ladies probably tell me the last five winners of Miss America? Can you name the names and what states they're from? Can you name the last five Academy Award winners in the category of being the best actor? Anybody do that? In the last five years? How about the last five World Series winners? We're right in the midst of all that playoff right now. Can anybody name the last five World Series winners? You know, none of us remember yesterday's headlines too much. We might remember them for a week or two, or we can remember some of the substantial things, maybe like 9-11 and our parents' generation, maybe the, uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But none of us really remember yesterday's headlines. You know, and the things I just asked you about, those aren't second-rate achievements. Those are incredible achievements to be a Heisman Trophy winner or to be a winner of a World Series. Those are, those are the best. Those are the best. Do you know what? Awards tarnish. Achievements are forgotten. Trophies are buried with their owners. Let me give you another quiz right now and see if you can answer some of these questions. How about can you name a teacher in your years of education that really touched your heart? Really maybe lit a fire inside you to learn or to fall in love with English or science or something like that, but they just inspired you. Can you name three friends that were there for you when you needed help somewhere along the way? Maybe as a young person, maybe older, maybe yesterday. Can you name your best friend and why this morning? Can you help the person that helped you come to know Jesus Christ? Might have been a parent, might have been a friend, might have been a Sunday school teacher, pastor, or deacon or somebody. Can you name that person? People who make a difference are the ones that they pour their life into you. They live with passion. They live for something bigger than themselves. These are the people that are truly making a difference in our lives, in the lives of Christians, in the lives of our nation here. How do you and I build a legacy, though? How can you and I build a legacy? Well, Paul was not only living a legacy, but he was leaving a legacy as well as he traveled around on these missionary trips and served the Lord with all he had. So if you found your way this morning to Acts chapter 20, we're going to begin with the 25th verse. Pick up a couple of verses we talked about last week, but then finish out the rest of the chapter here. Acts 20, verse 25. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Beginning in Acts 20, verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see me no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities, for those who were with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that he said "It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, in the stillness of these moments, Father, I pray that we would all know that you are God. Father, we realize the business of our lives. Father, we realize all the distractions. Father, all the All the things that pull on our lives, Father, and all those people in our lives that need a touch almost every day. Father, we thank you right now for the privilege that we have to be your children, Father. We thank you, Lord, that we understand, Lord, that Jesus Christ had the same thing happening to him when he was in a thirst. But, Lord, he continued to fulfill his mission. He continued, Father, to fulfill the things that you sent him to do here. Father, I pray today as we study your holy word, Lord, that we would realize how important it is, Father, to live a life, Lord, that's worth imitating just like Paul did. He followed... Jesus, that others might follow him. Father, pray for us as well, Lord. We realize the best use of our time, Father, is to pour ourselves into other people. Father, we thank you now for this most precious time. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do we build a legacy? I want to take some of Paul's experiences here and some of the things that Paul spoke about and share four thoughts this morning about how to build a legacy. Thought number one, Live with the end goal in sight. You know, running a race we all know we're aiming for, we're aiming for the finish line. So was Paul. Paul had an attitude that he wanted to go to heaven, and he was going to heaven. He realized that, but he wanted to take as many people with him as he could. That's a great mantra and a great point in our lives. That I want to go to heaven one day. I know without a doubt that I'm going, but I want to take as many people with me as I can. I want to be an influence and an impactor in other people's lives. I want to be an impact player for the glory of God. Paul said himself in Philippians, he said, I pressed toward the goal, for the prize of the upward calling of God through Christ Jesus. Paul realized that I'm I'm running this race for the prize. The prize is to go to heaven one day, to join myself with God in heaven for eternity through Jesus Christ. He realized the end of the road. He realized the end of the race. Paul wrote to Timothy a word of encouragement. This comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's at the end of Paul's life. It's the last letters he's writing. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking about going to heaven one day. He said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing, all those that call Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior. But Paul was focused on the race. He was focused on fighting the good fight and finishing the course to finish well. Paul desired to finish well. I see so many people that come to retirement and they realize, you know, okay, now I guess it's just time to rest. No. Now you don't have to work anymore. It's time to be employed full time by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to serve him with all that you have. How can we serve him at the end of our life so well? Because we've served him our whole life. We spent our life serving God and doing the things that he desires. Paul lived to serve Christ. Paul did whatever it took. Paul was willing to take any sort of persecution or trial that came along for the purpose of serving God and showing the world that Jesus Christ was the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. What do you and I do, though, that sometimes causes us to hold on to things and not live with the end in sight? You ever thought about that? What distracts us along life's journey that causes us not to keep our focus on the end result, on the end of life? What causes us to miss the fullness of Christ? You know, there's a precious story and you've all heard it before, but I want you to think about it maybe in a new light this morning. It's a story of the rich young ruler told in Luke 18. This rich young ruler, incredibly rich, young, came to Jesus Christ and said, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus Christ said, well, first you need to keep the commandments. And so he kind of listed them off. I've done good. I've not committed adultery, I've not murdered anybody, I've not stolen. So he's kind of listening to the commandments and feeling pretty good about himself. And then Jesus looked at him and said, that's good, but I'll tell you what I need to do. I want you to go home and sell everything and come follow me. Well, there was a little bit of a procrastination there. And it says this, Luke 18, he said, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, he's talking about I heard the commandments and heard the Richard and ruler did a pretty good job following the commandments. You still lack one thing. So all that you have distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he, talking about the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. I want you to see this. This rich young ruler is standing right in front of Jesus Christ and he's asking him, I've heard about you. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said the commandments and he listed off the things and feeling pretty good about himself that he wasn't that big a sinner and that he was, uh, he was worthy of going to heaven because he did a good job following the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ had one more requirement. He said, I want you to give up everything and follow me. That rich young ruler looked looks he turned away and didn't follow Jesus Christ. He was right there, right next to Jesus. Could have followed him. Could have been a disciple. Could have seen treasures from heaven in his life. And yet he had all these things and realized, I don't want to sell these things. Really, i got to go sell these things? You know, I don't know if Jesus Christ would have made him sell things. But he wanted to know where his heart was. He wanted to realize, are you willing to give up all this to follow me? Are you willing to surrender your life to me? You know what I believe that stands in the way of so many people in America today following Christ, truly following Christ? We have things. We have things. I don't want to give these things up or these opportunities up or these sort of things. We have a hard time with surrender. We have an incredibly hard time with surrender. So we can't keep our focus on the end game, we can't keep our focus on the finish line because we're too busy focusing on these things and holding on to these things. That rich young ruler missed life. There's too many people that call themselves Christians today missing the whole life. Are they missing eternity? I don't think so if they've got Jesus Christ their Savior. But they're missing this incredible life that God has for them here. They're missing the purpose that God called them to be about here because we don't have our focus on heaven, because we don't have our focus on the goal line. We're missing life. We're missing the things that God wants to bless us with. How God wants to use us in this world and make a difference in this world. We're not making a difference in this world as Christians in the body of believers here in America because we're holding on to too many things just like that rich young ruler. That's a powerful message that God has given to us. Does God want all of us to go sell everything? I don't think so. What does God want? He wants us to be willing to do that if that's what it takes. God wants us to be willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says what? Deny yourself. Pick a big cross and follow me. What does did I myself mean to me? It's away with everything I got. And it's no longer me. It's all about Christ. Whatever you want, Christ, I'll do it. Paul on that road to Damascus. What do you want me to do, Jesus? He came face to face with Jesus Christ just like this rich young ruler. Only there was a little bit of difference. Paul realized who he was looking at. The rich young ruler missed it because he was so focused on all those things. Are we missing what God has for us because we're so focused on things today? Jesus Christ said this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, speaking about Jesus, you, that's us, are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Are we truly abiding in Christ? Every time I hear about somebody that's going through a hard time, one of my things that I pray for them about, that they'd sense God's abiding presence, that they'd realize that Jesus Christ is right there with them. They'd have an overwhelming sense of that abiding presence. One way for us to understand in our own little life here, whether or not we're really truly following Christ, is, is there fruit coming from my life? Do I see fruit from my life? What is fruit? Somebody else's life is impacted because of your life for Christ. They're seeing Jesus in a new light because of you. Maybe they've come to know Jesus Christ because of you. Maybe they're walking in a closer way. Maybe they were Christians. They grew up Christians. They hadn't been to church in 20 years, but because of you, you encourage them to get back right with get close with Jesus Christ. When we abide with Jesus Christ and He abides in us totally, you know, without all the clutter of things and all the clutter of the worldly possessions and all the riches of the world, you know what happens? We see fruit. Because God has room to move through us. We're open to God speaking to us. Psalms 46 Be still. I just mentioned it a minute ago. Be still and know that I am God. We can't be still because we're so busy managing our things and our stuff. About nine years ago a member of our church brought a pastor that he used to have years ago when he lived in North Carolina. Told me all about him and told me that he had cancer. Brought him up here and we had a phenomenal weekend. Came to our church and spoke to our church that morning. His name was Cam Irvin. He had brain cancer. He was going to Duke for treatment. He was bald. He lost all of his hair. Going through a very, very hard time with chemo and radiation. Do you know what? I've never seen a more excited person in my whole life. I've never seen a person living with passion and living with a vision of the finish line than him. He realized he's going home. The doctors said, we don't know if we can help you or not. He said, I know who can. Whether he takes me home or whether he leaves me here, I'm just going to praise God. The guy had a mantra, though. He had a vision. He says, just one more for Jesus. Everywhere he went, he was sharing the gospel. He told me personally, he says, you know what? If I had never had this cancer, I wouldn't have met the hundreds of doctors and nurses that I met down there at Duke Hospital. Because of that, I get to share the gospel. And he, said, he said, I've seen some doctors come to know Jesus Christ. I've shared with some nurses, and they've got it rekindled in their faith and couldn't believe how strong I was. And they make nice comments about me, he said. But it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. He was dying, but he had his eyes on the goal line. I've been in many, many rooms with a pastor of people that are dying. And I've been here to tell you there's two different types of people in those rooms. I've been in rooms when they're lost. I can tell just enough walking in the room. The, the, the atmosphere there. The spirit is there. The spirit's not there. God's spirit. There's a desperateness. There's a loneliness. There's a sadness in that room. But I've also been in rooms of saints that are getting ready to go home. And they know they're probably never going to leave that hospital. They know their days are numbered. Do you know what? It's a worship experience because of the glory of God's in that room. The smiling and the excitement in their face and thankfulness for me coming. They're more thankful for me. I'm supposed to be the blessing to them. They're the blessing to me. Because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, they got to focus on the goal line. The second way we can build that legacy. The second thought here. Number two, live with a passion that is contagious. Live with a passion that is contagious. We see Paul's passion. Look, to, look at verse 26 and 27 we just read a minute ago. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent in the blood of all men. You know what? He realized what the watchman on the wall was all about in the book of Ezekiel. He realized that he had something to proclaim. He had to send a warning to people, all the people he knew, all the Jews first and then the Greeks, that Jesus Christ the Messiah had come to earth. You need to know this. It wasn't well known around the world until Paul and the other apostles went out and shared that gospel. But he wanted to go out there and share the gospel with them. And then, verse 27, he says, For I have not shunned. You know what that means? I have not relinquished or I have not, not done this to declare to you the whole council. Of God. Paul had a passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I've shared the whole council. I've told you everything. Your blood is not on my hands because you know the truth and I've shared it to you. What does passion look like? That's what passion looks like. Martin Luther said there's just two days on his calendar day today and that day. He was focused on today and making sure that he was used by God for his glory made sure that he was going to make a difference for the glory of God and the kingdom of God here on this earth. But he's looking forward to that day one day. That day being the day that Jesus Christ comes back. You ever looked up what the word passion means? I've shared it with you before, but I think many of you know. If you look up the word passion in Webster's Dictionary, you know what it says? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What? How could that be the word passion? We all kind of look at it as... You know, excitement or enthusiasm for something we're really focused on. There's never been anybody with more passion that was more focused on what his mission was here on this earth than Jesus Christ. Going to that cross. He was born in this world to die upon that cross. From the beginning of time, it was delineated that Jesus Christ would die upon that cross. It begs the question in your life and my life, what are you living for? What are you really living for? You ever thought about that? The other question would be, what are you willing to die for? I'd be willing to die for my family. I think you guys would too.' to that burning building. be willing to die for my wife, willing to die for somebody that was in need. if I need to put my life in jeopardy to help somebody out? I think most sure. But am I willing to live and die for the gospel of Jesus Christ? He died for us. Am I really willing to do that? You've heard the story before where church was meeting and a couple was in Russia, a couple of Russian guards bolted the doors and came inside. Had their guns out and they said, If you're really a Christian, you stay here, but if you're not, leave. Two thirds of the room left. They weren't sure what those guards were going to do, they didn't know if they were going to kill them. After all those people left, they bolted the doors again. The Russians put down their weapons and they sat down in the front row. He said, we just want to make sure there weren't any spies in here because we're Christians too. Would you be willing to give your life for Jesus Christ? You know, I don't know that God will ever call any of us to sacrifice physically our death. I don't know if the persecution will get that bad in America. But am I going to live my whole life here on this earth in this most blessed nation of all nations and not give myself away? To give my life away. To be a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12.1. To be a living sacrifice. <clears throat> I don't want to live my life as a Christian and just kind of be in America, go to church on Sundays. I want to truly give my life away. Every single moment, every day. How can I be used of you, God? I pray in the morning, God, use me today. I meet people all the time that I can tell they just need an encouraging touch. They need a little bit of sunshine in their life. They need some encouragement and some edification. What are you living for? Would you be willing to die for Jesus Christ? The third way to leave a legacy, to live without limits. Look at verse 20. It was right before what we read this morning, verse 20, chapter 20. How I kept nothing back that was helpful and proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He held nothing back. There was no limits to what Paul was willing to do to reach people for Jesus Christ. You know it's amazing the things though that we chase after. We chase after a lot of things, don't we? We like nice things, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're blessed in America with many things, and food, and housing, and nice things, and air conditioning, and heat, and all these things. But it's too sad, and it's very sad that many times we live for the trivial. And we're living for the trivial right in light of the fact that we've got a creator in heaven that loves us and wants to have that personal relationship. And yet we're living for the trivial this way as opposed to living this way. <clears> On <throat> March 8th, 2015, I preached a sermon here entitled, The Power to Impart. It's a story out of Acts 3 about Peter and John going to that beautiful temple, the beautiful gate of the temple, and seeing that lame man laying there on the street. Been lame since birth, 40 years. And they reached down and greeted him, and he said, alms, alms. He was begging for his existence. That was as good as his life was. Every day he got up and tried to beg enough for alms that he'd survive another day. He probably looked at Peter and John and realized that uh, they weren't much of anything, so they probably didn't have a whole lot, but he tried anyway. Peter looked down and said, hey, we don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I want to give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he did, after 40 years of not walking. And he ran into the temple and expressed uh, just excitement and joy and festivity there about the fact that he could walk. And the whole temple saw it. <clears throat> so they rested Peter and John. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that day, I made the comment after that that there is no longer the gift of healing. And I've said a number of times, and I'll say it again today, if I ever say something from the pulpit that you feel like is not... Or you have a disagreement with or go on the Bible, you come see me. A friend of mine came to see me about a month ago and shared with me he didn't think that statement was right. And uh, I want to, so I've sort of done some studying with him and by myself and looking through these things, and I want you to know that God gives healing. There's still the gift of healing and it comes from God. It, it truly does. You've seen it. We've seen it in this church. We've seen a number. In fact, I'm looking at a couple of people in our audience here that have had the gift of healing in their life. They had serious ailments and got the church praying for them and uh, they were healed. So God still gives us the gift of healing. I want you to understand, though, there's a difference from my perspective between a healer and healing. Okay? There's people out there that test to be healers. Benny Hinn's one that comes to mind initially, and so there's a lot of people on that end of the spectrum that kind of give the thought about the Holy Spirit working, the Holy Spirit, a bad name. On this side, where I believe we are, we believe in healing. We do. So there is still the gift of healing. And it comes from God. How do we access that? Let me share this with you. We still have the same Holy Spirit that was present back in the early church. It's still here. It's still the exact same Holy Spirit. How do we access it? Through, through praying. Through being an empty vessel that God can use for us. God heals sore throats and God heals cancer. God heals everything at his will and his desire. How are we involved in this healing? Think about some of these things. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great mighty my things. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have not because we ask not. You know, it's like I said a few moments ago when we're looking at the little video clip from the war room (coughs) talking about prayer. We don't access prayer the way we should. The biggest thing that's come out in my heart about this whole little study here and my friend coming to me and talking about this is the fact that we don't pray enough. I pray a lot. I've told you before. I need to sip a little water here. I'm sorry, guys. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, we don't access prayer enough. We pray a little bit. And I've shared with you before, we've prayed a little and received a lot. Can you imagine if we pray a lot? And I believe we don't pray enough. We have prayer sheets here. We have the pastor sent out prayer sheets here. We pray for people. We mentioned a couple of them during the uh, the, the opening there just a few moments ago, the welcome a few minutes ago, May Rawson and Polly Buchanan. Pray for these ladies. You've got people in your, prayer, in your life you're praying for. I know that. I hear about those prayer requests and I'm thankful that you give them to me. Call me and want me to pray about him. God desires to heal. Out of James 5, verse 13 and through 16, it says this. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing songs. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God desires to show up. You know why he's not showing up more? We're not praying more. We need to pray. We need to live without limits and believe that God can do all things How God is able. It's time for you and I to take our lives off the speed control. We need to cruise control. We need to live without cruise control. Too many of us get into a habit, yours, yours truly included, of just going through the motions every week. Have things I have to do. Have certain meetings every week I have. Have all these things. But we need to begin praying like our life depends upon it. We need to begin believing that God desires to answer our prayers. You've heard me say it over and over, and I'm going to say it again this morning. You know what I'm saying. Second Chronicles 7.14. We all look at the news. Every week it seems to be getting worse and worse. But God has told us in his holy prayer that if my people who are called by my name will pray and humble themselves, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, listen to this, and heal their land and forgive their sins. God desires to do a mighty work in America. America is sick today. But I'm here to tell you the gift of healing is still there. That God sends the gift of healing. And how does he send it many times? He sends it through the prayers of his people. Gathering our people. I had one occasion years ago, Tommy Edwards just married his son two weeks ago. We're going to have probably four or five bypasses done to his heart. They weren't sure if they could even do it because he was older. Didn't know his heart would be strong enough. We, we, we prayed for him here in the church a couple of Sundays. Got people up front here and prayed for him when he came up in the invitation time. Then a bunch of us, a bunch of deacons and myself and a couple of pastors went down to the hospital that morning met him at the hospital. Had him back to doctors, Forrest Hospital. Prayed for him there. Went into the surgery. There was a bunch of his family sitting there. We said, call us when he gets out. You know what? I got a call when I got out. It wasn't from the family. It was from Tommy. <laughs> he was crying on the phone. So excited. He says, the doctor says I'm healed. There's nothing wrong. They don't understand it. I understand it. You understand it too, right? The supreme physician, the great doctor in heaven, went in there first. Fix it. Some of you in the scientists have had those experiences too. We're expecting something. And it's coming true. I had a letter on my desk this morning. I want to read it to you. Many of you don't know this person. Some of you do. Rick and Nita McKissick. We get a letter from them about twice a year. I get a letter from them about twice a year. They live in Louisiana now. This is a precious family. They're here from the beginning and here for the first few years in this church and He was one of the guys that came to my Bible study in the morning, but just a precious, precious family. A family that loves God and gives glory to God all the time. And he calls this his permanent church. He has another church he's going to down there, but he loves this church. And it got him kind of going in the right direction. says, Gary, I pray things have been going well for you, your family, and extended church family. You all are always in our minds and our prayers. I also wanted to let you know that Nita, his wife, has been diagnosed with cancer, and is currently undergoing treatment. She had a hysterectomy to remove the fibroid that turned out not to be a fibroid. It was a rare cancer that hides itself inside the muscle lining of the uterus and acts like a fibroid. They removed the primary cancer tumor during the hysterectomy, but a later scan determined that it spread to her lungs. The first round of chemo did not clear her lungs. They have changed a more potent chemo mixture for her next round of treatment. We are fortunate to have one of the top specialists in this nation for this type of cancer at the hospital. That same hospital has a brand new infusion unit. Given the circumstances, Nita is doing well, except for her hair or lack thereof. You really would not know that she was sick, which is also the shock side of this equation. She continues to teach the cancer specialist said that you have to live life as normal as possible. We are trying to do so. I do ask that you pray for her and place her on every prayer list that you can find. We know that God is in control. A friend of mine who, whose wife survived breast cancer reminded me that our God is not dead, but a living God who cares and that gives great comfort. You think Rick and Nita believe in prayer? You think they're urgent for that prayer right now? I do. And I believe with all my heart that God can heal Nita. And I want you to bow your heads right now with me, and we're going to pray for Rick and Nita. Father, we want to live our lives with no limits, Father. We realize, Lord, that you're capable of doing all things, that you are able, that you desire, Father, to do beyond our expectations, Father. So we pray right now for Rick and Nita. Father, I pray for your healing touch on Nita. Father, I pray for that peace that passed understanding for the family. Father, I pray that you give wisdom to the doctors and nurses, Father, that they see and know everything that you see and know about Nita's body there. Father, right now, we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. And we pray with great expectation, Father, for a mighty movement of your hand, Father. And, Lord, we pray right now, Lord, that you would heal her up, Father. That's the desire of our hearts. And, Father, we pray, too, that she goes through this time, that she is living as close to normal as possible, Father. But I know they're going to give glory to you, Father, every step of the journey. And, Father, so we pray that you would be glorified in this journey. And, Father, we pray right now for that ultimate healing. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to send out that email this week so you remember their names, but I want to ask you to pray for them. And you pray for anything else. If you have other prayer requests that you'd like to put on that for me to email out from the church, we'll be happy to do that. But we need to begin living without limits, okay? We're limiting ourselves here in what we believe that God can do. Is there any limit on what God can do? Is there anything impossible for God's hand? The fourth and final thought about building a legacy, live in Christ's victory lane. Live in Christ's victory lane. Look at verse 24. It says, and Paul is talking about, it, he knows what lies ahead of him. The scripture we studied last week. But he says, none of these things bother me. They don't bother me. They don't move him. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know what? He was living in the victory lane. <laughs> he already won the race. No matter what happened to him. How about, the, how about the jail in Philippi? He was living like he already had the victory. He was going to sing about it even though he'd been, been beaten and chained down there. And everywhere he went, he got ran out of every one of those cities that he testified to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was still living and already living in the victory lane. We need to understand where that lane's at and get into it. Go to that victory circle there. Live in victory lane in such a way as that this life is not going to bring me down. It might slow me down a little bit. It might take a little bit of my focus to deal with whatever I'm going through, like cancer maybe. But it's not going to slow me down. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to give myself to him and live in victory. We need to run the race like the winners that we are. All things are possible. I want you to think about the parallel we just looked at there. What Paul said none of these things move moving. He said I'm going to finish the race. He said I'm going to bring glory to the God. Listen to this out of Hebrews 12. Think about the parallel we just read about in Acts 20. Hebrews 12 said this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those two, those two scriptures parallel each other. Paul's saying exactly the same thing he his None of these things moving. I'm running the race. I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to bring glory to God and I want to keep Jesus Christ in my focus. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says. I was reading in my quiet time last week, Joshua, I love that book. I've read it about 50,000 times. I love that book. It's a great book. But in Joshua 3, verse 5, Joshua is getting ready to cross the River Jordan. So he's going through all the people and he's sharing this thought with them. It comes out of Joshua, 5, Joshua 3, verse 5. He said, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I want you to think about that thought for just a second. Sanctify yourself, because tomorrow God's going to do something wonderful among you. What do you do at night before you go to bed? I believe most of us probably pray. Most of us thank God for the things we have in our life, our families, or spouses, and all these things. But do you ever take time to say, God... Show me in my life the things that still aren't right. God, continue to grow me that tomorrow I might see you in a greater way. I want to see you move among me. You've heard me say it over and over. God wants to show you something every single day in your life. He wants to show up and show off. God wants to show you something every day. Are you looking for him? Are you sanctifying yourself and getting yourself prepared? What what, what sanctification means is being set apart. Am I setting myself apart the night before for tomorrow's activities? You know what happened, right? The next day? God parted the Jordan Rivers. He told the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant across, he said, go down there and put your foot in the water. Well, it's it's flood stage. I'm sure they're kind of wondering in the back of their mind, God, why didn't you part it first so we can walk across? Why do you want me to put my foot in there? I could stumble and fall in and be swept away. He said, no, put your foot in there. You know what that was? It was a test of faith. He wanted to test them and make sure that they put their foot in there. That they would and just trust them. They hadn't trusted him 40 years before. He wanted to make sure they wanted to trust him now. So they crossed over in dry land, and Joshua told all the leaders of the 12 tribes to pick up a big stone in the middle of the river. Why? This is why. This comes out of um, Joshua 4. Verses, sorry. Verses 4, 21 to 24. don't need to turn that. I'm going to read it to you. This is Joshua Then he, Joshua, spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? He had built an altar there at Gilgal on the far side, on the the Promised Land side of of the Jordan River. He built these stones there as a monument. When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Why did they do that? That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua told them to prepare themselves to see God move in a great way. Get your hearts ready. Set yourself apart. Sanctify yourselves that you may see God's hand move in a great way. The night before, the next day they moved over there. But that Joshua did not want them to forget that experience of crossing over on the dry lands. So he had him build a monument over there. He built a monument that for generations to come, people would see that God was faithful. That God had done a mighty work there. You know what you've done by being part of this church? You've built a great memorial here in the middle of Dam. Why? To bring glory to God. To see God exalted in this place. People drive by that. Oh, look at that church. Look at how big that church is. Look at all those people there on Sunday mornings. I get those comments all the time. How would something this big happen in the middle of nowhere? God, that's the answer. God wanted to show himself strong. I don't know if you know this. Some of you weren't here then. But uh, you know when we built this building? The second building over here? Right in the middle of the worst economic depression our nation has seen since the Great Depression. It's the middle and the end of George Bush's career. In the of God did that. It was just like, why did God tell Joshua to cross the river Jordan where the rivers were at flood stage? Why didn't he wait till there was a drought going on in Israel let him cross over and it trickled? Why? Because he wanted to show the world that he could cross them over there. The last few verses here, Paul offers a warning. Look at verses 29 to 31. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples from themselves. Think about that verse for just a second, verse 30. From among yourselves, men will rise up. He's talking from inside your group, inside your body of believers, inside your church. They're going to rise up, speaking perverse things. (coughs) I saw a comment the other day by an Episcopal bishop, a female gay Episcopal bishop. She made the comment that pro-choice and abortion brings glory to God. Really? An Episcopal gay priest said that abortion and pro-choice brings glory to God. Her explanation was, well, it kind of exalts the sacred nature of woman. From among yourselves, men and women will rise up speaking perverse things to draw you away, the disciples after themselves. Heard on a newscast one evening, I was watching it. And the head of the Episcopal church, another female, I don't believe she's gay. But he asked her, is there more than one way to heaven? She says, well, we believe because of the Bible that there is, but I I believe we'd be a little narrow-minded if we thought that was the only way to get to heaven. This is the head of the Episcopal church. I'm not throwing the Episcopal. There's a lot of fine Episcopals out there. But there's so much perversion, unfortunately, going on inside the church that's supposed to be the Christian church today we need to be careful. We need to monitor the things that are being said and understand that God is truth. God has truth. I'm going to finish this morning with this last thought. You know, where can we begin to build that legacy? I think you all know the answer to that is at home, our kids. And I've said this statement before, but I believe it all my heart. I'd rather be a nobody in the world and be a somebody to my kids. Do you hear that? I'd rather be a nobody to the world than be a somebody to my kids. Are you a hero to your kids? Have you built a monument in your home to your children that they'd see that God is real? It's sad to me, but the biggest problem with children leaving the home that they to go to college is they I don't believe they have a real genuine relationship with God. They don't have their own faith. They have their parents' faith. They've gone through the motions of their parents, gone to church. But they haven't gotten to a point because they haven't seen it demonstrated. They haven't seen it uh, unfold in front of our eyes as far as being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We have an incredible opportunity to make a difference. I was blessed to have a home with two heroes from my parents. I thought of this last thought here this morning because my mother is here in the church today. She's in Sunday school, so she'll be in the second service. She celebrated her 89th birthday about two weeks ago. We're going to have a birthday celebration here, Beaverdam style, today at our house after church. My father was a World War II veteran. He was a mighty man of valor because he lived on God's word and taught it at home and lived it in his life. He was a huge executive with Sears Roebuck and Company years ago. I didn't know this until probably 20 years ago, probably 15 years after he did it. But he was involved with the FBI and counterterrorism in Washington, D.C. And he was a naval officer in the reserve and so had high rank there. and Uh, The FBI approached him one day. He was a big executive. In fact, he was a senior executive with Sears in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, they approached him and started inviting him to dinners, state dinners and different dinners. Wear his uniform, bring my mom. But he wanted to know if anybody approached him, wanted to talk to him later. And they were concerned. There was a lot of Russian folks trying to get insight into our national defense and those sort of things. And so he never had anybody. But he did this for like two years. Got to go to some very, very nice state dinners and meet a lot of people and sit next to dignitaries and those sort of things. But my dad was a very humble man. I heard about that story because he shared it one day when he was preaching at our church. He had filled in for the pastor there and he preached at the church and told that story. I said, really? I mean, son, I didn't know these things. My mother was probably the most godly person I've known. I'm here today to tell you there's so many things in my life I can point back to my parents that I got it there. I got this there. I got that. Because that's who they were. They live their life for Jesus Christ. They live the things we're talking about here today. That they live with a goal in mind at the end of it. They lived without limits. They lived with passion in their life. You know, the scripture and some of these things we talked about here are a great guideline for parenting, for living our life for them. Last thought this morning what's the greatest thing you can give your kids when they leave home? It's Jesus Christ. It's not a great education that's fine that's good it's not talents or the ability to manage their finances well those are all good and they're necessary too those are important things but the greatest thing that we can give our kids before they leave home is jesus christ to have that real genuine relationship with jesus christ and live for his glory they go out and they establish their own family based on their faith in jesus christ